fertility is complicated. I'm here to answer all your questions. Welcome to my podcast where we discuss all things fertility. I'm your host and fertility expert, Kalise. Let's be honest. I can say that for Oh, yeah. Okay. I won't be like vulgar, but maybe. Maybe. No, I, I mean, you no. know, we're going to be talking about, you know, vaginas and stuff. Yeah. So you can be. So did I tell you the story of um, we had this patient and um, Sarah saw her like, you know, you're going to do, um, you know, here's what, we, you know, you're testing that we want to do. And she goes, I didn't know someone was going to ram a probe up my vagina today. Oh, man. And. <gasps> Sarah's so like, um, well, you know, we don't ram things into <laughs> vaginas, um, but you don't have to do it. I was Seriously. like, oh, word, okay. Well, Ramming things into vaginas. And if if you guys were the, her last stop, certainly she's had that done before. Yeah, because they'll, you know, they do it on, they do a 3D on everyone. Yeah. Well, probably, let's just maybe talk a little bit about... If I were to come to you, yep. you know, as a new like, patient? yeah, as a new patient, yeah. like, like this new patient, she was telling right. you, I didn't know I was coming here. Right. So we usually start with, um, just a diagnostic ultrasound and blood work, which I won't talk about cause that's not my specialty, but what we'll do is get basic measurements of uterus and ovaries, check for any anatomical like abnormalities, fibroids, um, check for cysts, um, you know, make sure everything looks good according to where they're at in their cycle. So it's just a basic kind of anatomy scan the right. first time around. We count their resting follicles. It's part of the egg health testing. Right. So the follicles are the little um, spaces in the ovaries which the eggs live. So it gives us an idea of their egg health and um, how many eggs we might be able to work with if they're going to do IVF. Right. Um, so just a kind of a basic scan it also gives a, you that, a baseline yeah that baseline information right. in case we can see if they're close to their ovulation date are they ovulating do they have a dominant follicle that's ready do they not do their ovaries look like they have polycystic ovarian syndrome you know right and that compared diminished... with the labs can kind of clinch that diagnosis right so okay. we always need to get the labs and the ultrasound together so i i tend to not try to give people too much when i'm doing that first exam um, because I don't, you know, we've got to get those labs as well as to right. get the whole picture. But, right. you know. How much are you allowed to tell the patient? Um, I usually, I can give them their follicle count. It depends on the doctor that I'm working with, too. The doctor that I work with, um, we have a trust between each other. We've been doing it for a long time. So I can kind of give them a little bit more information than I would some of the other doctors that I don't work with. Do you remember any time where you were doing a scan and you saw something and it really alarmed you or alerted you to something. Do you have some of those? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times like submucosal fibroids, yeah. polyps, things that are yeah. in the lining that will like prevent pregnancy or cause miscarriages. Right. So a lot of times I'll see something like that. That's like, Oh, okay. You've got a big old polyp or a fibroid sitting right in smack in the middle of your lining. Right. We need to take care of that, you know, right. before you get pregnant or you're having recurrent miscarriages. And then you'll also get them scheduled for something like an SHG, right. histogram. So a lot of times they'll get an HSG, which is a hysterosalpingogram, which um, they use fluoroscopy 
to check the patency of the tubes, and also they can look at the contour of the inside of the uterus. Right. So when you say fluoroscopy, you're talking about it's, a dye that right. actually flows. A dye, the and then they're tubes. shooting X-rays at the same time to make sure that they're seeing the spill right. of that dye through the tubes and looking right. inside the uterus, and then. If they see something on that, or if I've seen something on the ultrasound, they'll order an SHG, which is a sonohistogram, where we just put a little bit of um, saline into the uterus to look at the, see if there's polyps or fibroids or anything, scar tissue, adhesions that might be preventing pregnancy or causing miscarriages. Right. So that can tell you the placement in the layers. Mm-hmm. To determine, do we need to have this removed, or is right. it something that's not even going to affect your pregnancy? Right. And just leave it that way because mm-hmm. we like those really pretty uteruses. Right. We don't you want to have a nice, in clean uterine cavity. Right. For implantation. Now, you invented something for the SHG that really helped right. bring costs down for. We used to do what's called a FemView, which is just like a big syringe that agitates the saline, and then you can kind of follow the. So you can visually right. see it a little it, bit better. It makes bubbles in the saline, mm-hmm. and then it, it, you can kind of watch it spilling out the tubes. But mm-hmm. this device was really expensive, and it's big and clunky, really kind of annoying to use. So I came up with a way. Um, actually, my husband had a heart condition, so he always had to get echocardiograms. Yeah. And in that echocardiogram, they would do a bubble study. So they put two syringes together, agitate the fluid, inject it into the vein, and then you can see it going through the heart. Oh, wow. I said, yeah. why can't we use this for the son, the femur? Yeah, for the femur. Um, I said, it, the syringe costs nothing. Yeah. The little catheter costs nothing. Um, we can agitate it ourselves. It's much smaller than this big old femview annoying yeah. device. Um, so we tried it. Our doctor let me do a study. We did uh, 25 to 30 patients. And it worked almost every time. Wow. And so, yeah, now we're pretty much using it throughout yeah. all the offices and saving a bunch of money on this FemView device that we don't have to use anymore. That is so cool. Did they yeah. rename it the, the We're Sony, calling it a... Um, the Sonia Sonography yeah, <laughs> Saline. Um, it's called a uh, Sonohysterosalpingogram. So SHSG is what we're calling them now. All right. Yeah. So one of the S's actually should stand one for you. It should for stand Sonia. for Sonia. Yeah, that's yeah right. it really that's should because right. that's more so, appropriate. Yeah, and we've been doing it a lot. I had forgotten Jesse had that. High yeah, high. that's how I he, came up with he it. He was born with tetralogy, right? right. Tetralogy is a tech baby. So yeah. he had a open heart surgery um, at like, gosh, he had a catheterization done and then they kind of figured it out. This was back in the 70s in Arkansas. So yeah. Yeah. I was I was thinking, you know, all day yesterday about our fun trip to Iceland. I'm you know, how, right now. you've got your Iceland socks on. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. and you mentioning socks too, because I kept thinking about when he stepped in that puddle of oh water. Everything was frozen except for the uh, one spot where he stepped. Yeah. And he got soaking wet. His we feet tried to go buy some wet. new shoes, but they were like so expensive because <laughs> they were like made out of wool. Yeah. And then um, he just got plastic bags and wrapped them around his feet. No, his <laughs> way less. And he didn't complain one time. Not once. He was like he was so, so kind yeah. and sweet. And I would have been like, ah. our our trip was so short. And, yeah. and I know he was thinking, but, I don't have much time in Iceland, so I'm going to really it enjoy it. We, we did pack it, it in. in. And then yeah. that night when he had those plastic bags on his feet, we went to that really good dinner. So good. The Arctic oh, what char. What was that soup? It was the cauliflower soup, which I still make today. Do you? I still make it. And then didn't they make the bread in the rocks yes, at in night? In the ground. 
Oh, in the ground. They put it under the ground because it's like thermal, you know, it's so warm under the ground. It was so much fun. He gave me the recipe for it, um, but I mean, there's no way you could. You didn't dig a hole in your backyard and see if it cooks and. Make some fire. It didn't work. No, it didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just buy the record. I was also thinking about, um, you know, you went through a hard time. I, f- I felt like sometimes our patients don't realize. They think we're kind of semi-human, I think. Yeah. yeah. And they don't understand that we go through tragedies right. in our lives. Oh, yeah. And you were coming to work during that time. and I had to come to work. Oh, man. I When I was staying home, I was like, I couldn't stay home. Because you're oh, just sitting there yeah. at home like, what am I doing? You know, like, oh. I need to go to work. Right. I need to do something. And that helped so much. I mean, just, you know, helping others. Sure. You know, these fertility patients are so in their head. And so you just have to kind of give them everything and help keep my mind off things for sure. Do you mind telling the story? No, Jesse was hiking in Arkansas and um, had a massive asthma attack and died. He was by himself. Yeah. Yeah. He was hiking alone, which you should never do. And it, yeah. I get mad at everyone who hikes alone. I know. And I (laughs) I know you always told him not to do that. Don't go alone. Don't go alone. Always take your inhaler with you. And he had it, but it was just such a massive attack um, that he died. And they said, thank God they said it was pretty quickly. At first we didn't know what happened um, because he didn't come home that night. And that, which was, you know, he always called his parents and it was just weird. And then the next day they found him yeah. um, and they, they weren't sure what had happened until right. they did the autopsy and right. talks came back and everything was fine. Um, but yeah, it was just a massive asthma attack and he had his inhaler out. He was trying to use it, um, but yeah. it was just so bad that, you know, and he had asthma his whole life. You would just think, you know, you use your right. inhaler and right. you're fine, but it was just so massive that it didn't work. And, you right. know, and I just remember you being at work, like, yeah. Right away. And I, I think I took like a week and a half. And that's pretty much or right some, away. Yeah, yeah. I had <laughs> to fly out to Arkansas, was, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we did the memorial service out there because his whole family's out there and everything. Right. And right. Um, yeah. And then I came back. We did it. This was like right around Christmas yeah. three years ago. Yeah. Um, so we did his memorial service Christmas Eve. Yeah, I think I went back to work like early January. Yeah. Because I just couldn't. You did. I couldn't stay you at home. didn't like I mean, staying at home. I mean, you're sitting at home. Right. What do you, you know, right. What do you do? I, um, when he passed, we got him cremated because that's what he wanted. And I wanted to get some jewelry made, you know, with his ashes for his daughters and for myself. And, you know, we're looking at the funeral home and, you know, you're in your grief. You're like, I don't care about anything, money, whatever. So I paid $150 per, per piece, maybe even more of like this little necklace pendant and it was like glass and it had kind of these swirly ashes. They were really pretty, beautiful pieces. But I bought three of them, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, I don't care, whatever money, you know, you don't care in that moment. You just get it and they really get you. And, and I was like, well, there's gotta be some better way, like, or something that I can do myself that's cheaper um, and affordable for people. You know, a lot of people can't afford that for their whole family or, you know, whatever. So I kind of started messing around with his ashes, which he would love, you know, (laughs) taking his ashes out and sifting them and trying to figure things out. So I ended up coming up with this way to um, get like a resin that hardens. So I get the clear resin. I put the ashes in there. I swirl them around and then I can add like colors or whatever people like. 
Um, I've seen them. They're beautiful. Yeah, so They're I make so pendants nice. and I can make rings um, and I charge $50. And, yeah. you know, because it's not that difficult to do. And I don't think people should have to be paying an arm right. and a leg for memorial pieces. Right. You know, I think it's not fair. Jesse would love the fact that you're oh, digging yeah. through his ashes and right. picking pieces to put in yeah. a piece of jewelry. He would think that right. was awesome. Right. Some people Some, can't do that. No. And I know that you're so kind and generous. That... Yeah. I'll go to your house and get the ashes if, if you're close by. I mean, I'm not going right. to fly somewhere. But... Right. <laughs> Unless they pay for your yeah. ticket. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I had a, one good friend, our coworker lost her daughter. So, and she couldn't deal with the ashes. So I went over and, you know, I did that whole thing for them and I made some pieces for her and for her husband and for some friends of theirs. And she oh. wears that ring every single day. Wow, and it was one of my does. first pieces yeah. that I don't love so much the quality and I'm like let me make you another one and let me make you another one please please I'm doing them so much better now so I'm gonna make her a pendant pretty soon have you done pets also I've done many pets you have pets and people yeah so if people will have their pets cremated I just did one for my friend who lost her lab not too long ago oh um yeah that's wonderful yeah yeah I do want everybody to know that not only are you like the most kind person I've ever met. You're just wonderful, but you're also a badass. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so, I'll take um, it. Now you were a roller derby girl too. Yes. So. I when I, gosh, I was like 30. I think I was 30, and a friend of mine from work said, "Hey, I've got these free tickets to a roller derby game," and I was like, "Oh, what's that?" You They're know? crazy. Yeah, I've been to one, I, and I was. It it's was insane. super fun. Like yeah. these chicks are badass. They like, really for are. Sure. They really are. So you're on skates, you're on quad skates, and um, you are trying to score points by passing people, but you're body checking to try to like not have them pass you. So oh, you yeah. have, oh yeah, you have jammers who are scoring the points and blockers who are trying to get you to not score points. So and what, what were you? It's just I was. I kind of did. You kind of play both. You did both. Um, okay. Yeah, what? I saw this first game and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. And I never <laughs> skated in my life besides like, no, never skated. I started playing and I got hurt pretty quick. I tore my MCL oh. and then I couldn't really be falling down a bunch anymore. So then I started refereeing and I did that for many years. Right. And then, yeah. Right. What was your roller derby girl my name? My roller derby name was Sonia Seidel. Sonia Seidel. Yes, Sonia Seidel. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Super fun time in my life. And then, yeah, I just kind of got too much with work. And gosh, I did it for about five years. And then I retired. But yeah, I love skating now. So are you still skating? Uh, Every once in a while, we'll go to like the skate city and skate around, but not not as much as I'd like. Yeah. 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 I can can skate pretty good. I bet you can. (laughs) (laughs) I can knock you down too. Yes. (laughs) Everyone in roller derby has a derby wife. So like your best roller derby friend is your derby wife. And, um, mine, um, is, um, yeah, his name was Sans Sheriff (laughs) and he is now a doctor. So yeah. And I actually just got to marry him and his wife. Oh, that's right. Because you're ordained. Yes. I do that too. So I was talking with the producer of this podcast, Kirsten, and she mentioned that she uses Canon products. I actually do. I love their acai, um, which I didn't used to know how to say. (laughs) How Uh, did you used to say it? I think it was acai. Yeah. (laughs) A-C-A-I. I I think it's acai, but 
I love it for my skin. It's from a company that makes fertility supplements, but I have found that this is one of my absolute favorite things to take. And this antioxidant is fantastic. It works from the inside out. My skin completely changed within a week of using it. It was glowing. It was clear. It felt softer. And I didn't change anything else about what I was doing with my beauty regimen. So I attribute it to the acai and I take it with me everywhere. When I pack for a trip, that is part of my checklist. I make sure that I take a little baggie of my acai and that I'll have enough for my trip because I don't like to go a day without it. Who knows what would happen? It's pure freeze-dried. There's nothing else in their product at all, just the acai, which is kind of unusual, I think. Yeah, I do think that that's an important part because you get these vitamins and things that have uh, other crap added to them for shelf life or something. I don't know. Right. But this Words you can't even pronounce. So, yeah. So you can order acai from canonco.llc.com. Well, I know we digressed off of yeah, off of sonography, <laughs> <laughs> and and a lot of times we do call it sonography, mm-hmm. and um, people don't even understand what that term is. Right. They'll, they'll look at me like, is, does she work in marine mammal life? Right. Or I, I always get the um, courts. So you work in the court system, <laughs> like a stenographer? No, it's sonography. No. So it's using sound waves to make images. So it's it's not you're not getting any radiation or anything like that. It's totally safe. At, at what point in time is your fir- is the first ultrasound so, after they transfer? Usually embryo? after they've had their embryo transfer or after they've gotten pregnant with IUI or even natural, we do an ultrasound at, at the beginning of the seventh week. And we do that because by then you're definitely needing to see a heartbeat. If not, then we know something's not quite right. Um, we don't want to bring them too much earlier before that because a lot of times you'll see a sac and a little embryo, but there's no heart yet, and then you're just sending them off worried. Right. So you really, we really like to wait until those, like, those lab levels are a little bit higher yes. so that we know that you we want to have see. the labs rising accordingly before you schedule the ultrasound, right. and so then that, we schedule it around the seventh week. Now, if they've had a history of ectopic pregnancies, right, um, or if they've lost a tube for you know any reason. Um, then we bring them in around five just to make sure that it's in the uterus right. and not in the tube right. um, so that we can deal with it beforehand because we don't want them losing another tube for ectopic exactly. because if it ruptures, you've lost, you know, you're exactly. So, so at seven weeks, what exactly will you see? So at seven weeks, I'm seeing a gestational sac, which is the sac in the uterus with the amniotic fluid. Um, I'm seeing a yolk sac mm-hmm. and a fetal pole mm-hmm. with a heartbeat. Great. So do they get to hear the heartbeat or do they just Uh, see the heartbeat? Yes, if it's into the seventh week, then I can quickly kind of let them listen to the heartbeat. Um, Before that, you don't tend to want to put sound on it because it does send a little bit more energy into the uterus and and we don't want to harm. You want to keep that little fetus. Yeah, we want to keep that... (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, we can let them listen to it for just a second. Right. Yeah. And so what are some of the reactions that you get to uh, that? Because these people the best. have been it's, through the yeah. ringer. Just so that's the best part of the job is just like when they see, when they see the little flicker of the heartbeat, I mean the crying and I've had one guy pass out on me, one guy <laughs> and he, and I never let anyone stand anymore for these exams. Cause you know, the lady's laying down, but the husband sometimes will stand and I'm like, no, you got to sit. Um, because one time he saw that heart beating and he took a dive and I'm, I can't catch him, you know, no. I'm scanning their wife. So, yeah, yeah so uh, it's just 
joy. Like it's the best part. Oh it's yeah. The best part. And you just cry every time. Don't yeah. You? And I cry too. Yeah. yeah it's I'm just, a crier. I cry at everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so hard not to. Yes. Now at, um, I know you also see people come back seven weeks. They, you know, they have a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. They're very excited, that sort of thing. And then they come back to their next appointment and there's no heartbeat. Yes, that happens. It's pretty rare, but it does happen. Or they come in for their seven week and there's no heartbeat, you know? Right. So those are not so great. That's those are the not worst so part great. of the job, you know, having that because I'm the one who has to tell them, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not seeing a heartbeat. Um, you know, and then I just right. try to go through the exam as quickly as I can. Do you have to tell them that or do, do you bring tell in? tell them. No, you I do. tell them. Yeah. Because it's just me and How the patient. How do you find the and, words to say that? Oh, it's, it's hard, just, man. Yeah. It, Are you yeah. just very clinical about it? I'm really it? just straight up with it. You know, like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not seeing a heartbeat. Um, let me get some more measurements here. And then we'll have you talk to the physician or okay. physician's assistant, whoever okay. they're seeing after their appointment. Mm-hmm. And I try to, you know, mm-hmm. just be quick with, you know. What I'm doing, With that and, information. you know, you, you want to verify several times that right. there's no heartbeat, you know, you throw some color on it. Yeah. So sure. I, I do a couple things. I put the motion mode on the heart. I put color on it just to the, make sure that there is no heartbeat, you know, yeah. or sometimes I'm seeing just an empty sac. It's called a blighted ovum where it just didn't progress. Um, yeah. And there's just nothing inside of the sac. So that's abnormal as well. Right. And then, you know, I they talk with the physician's assistant after that and then come up with a plan right. as to what they, how do you want to deal with it. Yeah. And, you know, usually we'll do a follow-up scan and just make sure again right. that everything's out before they have a DNC or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or if there's an ectopic pregnancy that I'm seeing um, and they have to be treated for it. You right, know. immediately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As a as a NICU nurse, there you know we, we tried to provide memorials for, pa- sure. for the parents. Yeah. We had gotten a call that there was a terrible car accident up in the mountains. And this girl was almost to term. She was mm. close to term. And she it was snowing and icy. Yeah. And she had rolled her car. Mm. And they actually sent a chopper in. And when they got there, um, she was not alive. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there was, there was no heart rate. There was nothing. But they saw that she was pregnant, very yeah. pregnant. So they went ahead and took the baby. Mm. And the baby didn't survive. Mm. And so they said, you know, they have to bring, you know, they have to bring them both to the hospital. So, of course, I was the NICU nurse that was on intake at that time. And so they brought in this beautiful boy, just beautiful. And um, I remember his hands were up against his face. That's hard. Yeah. See? That's hard. (laughs) It's so hard. Yeah. But I cleaned him up. Yeah. And I trust him. Yeah. And the family came in. Oh. And I'm like, take pictures. Yeah. Because you want to remember this. Right. And I'll never forget it. Mm. And why I love the NICU so much, I don't know. Yeah, Because right. <laughs> there were so many of those kinds of things that, right. you know, uh, that happen, that, yeah. that are unavoidable, that you try your hardest. I and know. yet, and so I'm thinking about this memorial for these women. Yeah. When they come in and they get this scan and... It's not good. Right. And how it affects us. Yeah, it affects me bad. I mean, I cry almost every time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and when, you know, we've been through lots of tragedies together, too. You know, my dad died while I was at work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we've been through some of these things together. And then when you've got to come back to work after a tragedy 
and you scan someone yeah. and it's not good news, it's almost like all those feelings just rush yeah, back and you, these memories rush back. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm wondering if patients realize how human we really are. I don't know. And, you know, I don't know if they do. I, I mean, I, I think they get it. And I, I'm closer definitely with some patients than others. Sure. And, and some of my patients know what happened to Jesse, you know, and right. for sure. But, um, yeah, I think I try to keep myself out of it a lot because, you know, it's all about them and they're going through so much with this infertility and it's such an up and down roller coaster with their emotions. And yeah, I mean, some pe- it ends in divorce for a lot of these people, oh, and, you know, is, because yeah. it's so much to deal with and right. it's so hard. Uh, the so, percentage rate, and, yeah. and I don't really like to quote percentage rates yeah. until I have a current, but I remember at the time when I was in the NICU, the divorce rate of NICU parents was at 78%. Jeez. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because of... I suggest everyone going through it gets some therapy. You know, you have to go to counseling when you're right. going through it. I always felt so. like I really did need a, another degree in psychology yeah, just for to... for sure. I mean, a lot of times them. I'm just talking them through everything, mm-hmm. you know. You get to know these patients so much because mm-hmm. you're seeing them every day if they're going through an IVF cycle and... You know, you're just like, oh, keep your head up, you know, like keep strong. And you're just encouraging them all the way through, you know, and they're coming in crying and it's a lot. So you're really a therapist too. You really are. And sometimes it's not crying, it's screaming at you and it's screaming at the staff and and it's our fault, not theirs. I feel the worst for the front desk. They they get the worst out of Mm -hmm. everyone. I think they take most of the abuse. Because they're handling the money part and, mm-hmm. you know, they're having to collect checks and insurance. The whole and bit. yeah, and they're having to change their appointments and call them with, you know, stuff. And I, I just feel bad for the front mm-hmm. desk. I think they get it the worst. But I've seen you put 30 patients through oh, yeah. in two and a half hours. Yeah, we get busy. Yeah. So my appointment times are usually 15 minutes a piece. Right. And, and we, you know, I'm not doing a full GYN scan on everybody. So it's right. a lot of times I'm going in and some of them, I'm just checking their lining and taking a quick look at their ovaries. So they don't take very long. Right. Um, but a lot of times I'm double booked um, in the mornings because people have to come in before a certain time to get their labs drawn so that they can get their same day results. Right. And some and, people have to go to work. Yeah. And, 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 they're, and right. we don't have a bunch of appointments so a lot in the of times for them to go to work. Everyone wants that first appointment of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just impossible to do, you know. So, yeah. I mean, we try our best and right it's just all these behind the scenes things that patients don't realize what you have to do just to get a good reading on them and I know how important um your job is there Mm -hmm. I know that you know when you especially for an IVF patient how much money they spend yeah we we have to see them you are trying to count every single Mm -hmm. egg and with those PCOS patients and you're counting 48 eggs on each side on each side yeah and measuring (laughs) each of them and trying to keep track and yeah yeah so those take a long time and you mm know I mean my back hurts sometimes Oh, I get massages every wrist. other week and my wrist and yeah. yeah, I definitely have to take care. If I don't get those massages and I mean, I've been to acupuncture and dry Good. needling and everything, Good. physical therapy. I mean, I do it all right. just to keep my body right because I right. don't, I don't want to go back and work at a hospital and be taking call all night. I and, don't you know, like I really love my job yeah. and I've heard stories of sonographers like having to quit after five ish years because of their body posture and their back hurts. You have to pay the money to take care of yourself and you have to do it. Yeah. I might not. I mean, I, everyone's like, oh, you get to have a massage every two weeks. Like, bah, boo-hoo. But I'm like, yeah. no, it's not a pleasant yeah. massage most of the time. It fucking hurts. So you got to take that time to like stretch throughout the day and 
and get your body taken care of, you know? Mm. And I pay the money. My insurance doesn't pay for it. Ugh. And I always do my, like, wrist circles in between oh, patients. You? And, yeah. like, I'll be outside of the room before I go in and I'll do my stretches before I knock on the door, you know? So, right. yeah. I've told... I mean, everyone knows this is the last job that I will ever have. I know you even made <laughs> candles. And, I do make candles, and, yeah. you know. I'm super creative. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I can't sit still, so I'm always doing something, right. you know. Like, so I make candles in my free time and liquid body scrubs and right. things like that. And yeah. I just like to keep busy, so... Right. Yeah. I, I love your candles. Yesterday your I was crocheting scrubs. a little, little like, pot holder because I was sitting there <laughs> bored. I'm like, oh, I'll just get the crochet. <laughs> <laughs> So you're using every side of your brain, your yeah, scientific you. mind, your yeah. creative mind. I get, when I, I like get it. bored, then I'm like, start making trouble. With it. <laughs> I like it. I think it's great. Um, I know you and I love to travel. That's yes. one reason we went to Iceland. You yes. know, we, we just, we want to explore all the yeah. time. We just don't care. And I think you and I have both discovered that um, traveling really helps renew us. Oh yeah. And get us ready. Yeah. To I need it. Yeah. If I don't travel like every, if I don't, I mean, even just a weekend away in the mountains or, you know, I just I have to get away just to recharge. I agree. I, have to. I agree. Yeah. I think that's really important for our patients too. Oh yeah. Because when they're going through this whole process, mm-hmm. it can be a couple of years oh, yeah. of this whole process yeah. of getting everything exactly yeah. like. They've got to take some time away. I grew up traveling, so I kind of know the value of it. You know, right. like we always were going somewhere right. with my family and, and right. a lot of people don't do that. So you speak fluent German also? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, when I get over there, I pick it up pretty quickly again, but uh-huh. um, my mom lives in Germany, so I don't speak it regularly right. anymore. And I was really scared what last year we went to Germany and I was like, oh, is it going to be, you know, but when I got there, yeah. it was like, it just quick. came back. It comes right back. So how long did you live there? I lived there from birth until I was 12. Yeah. Yeah. And my so that's dad why was in the military yeah. and my mom's German. So my dad would go travel around with the military, but my mom wanted us to kind of go to school over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it kind of got hard on their marriage oh, later. Yeah. So then when I was 12, my brother was 14. We moved to Texas with my dad because he got stationed there. Mm-hmm. And then I lived in El Paso. Texas for till I was 21 and mm-hmm. then moved to Colorado. When I was in my early 20s and just had moved here from uh, Texas, I worked at a um, fertility clinic as a medical assistant, just part-time helping draw blood. Um, I did it two days a week. But there was a time when the office disbanded and they kind of moved. Um, everyone had to move to a different mm-hmm. office. And I was a poor young mother, a single mom mm-hmm. of a little girl. And um, I couldn't afford to like drive to either other offices was just too much for me. So I ended up working at um, a hospital where I got into ultrasound. So then I ended up going to ultrasound school, but I went two days a week to um, the fertility clinic and I worked for free um, and learned so much and just kind of like stayed there. And then I stayed on the weekend rotation when I got out of school. I always liked working in infertility. Just like there's, it just, I don't know. Yeah. So something drew me to it and I stayed. Yeah. Um, so I've always kind of been around since right. like the early 2000s. And I, you know, Conceptions was always kind of there. So, wow. And it just, yeah, it's, it's so different from working at a hospital or a doctor's office where you're just, or an imaging center. What's the craziest fibroid you've ever seen? Oh my goodness. Um, I've seen like a cantaloupe size one. <gasps> yeah. Not at my current job, but when I was working at the hospital, yeah. big, big fibroids um, where you can't even see anything. They're 
they, they make shadows on the screen, so you can't really see much else, mm-hmm. but like huge fibroids mm-hmm. all over the uterus. Um, wow. Yeah. What do you do in that case? Do you immediately just go to the physician and just say, yeah, I can't we, see anything because to... there's this huge fibroid. All I see is huge fibroid. Um, right. so then they usually send them to a fertility surgeon to get those removed. Right. Um, yeah, because when they're big like that, it's a problem. You can work with fibroids. They're totally benign. Um, so if you've got small ones throughout mm-hmm. the uterus and they're not impinging on the, on the endometrium, they're right. fine. We don't want to mess with it. We tend to not try to cut on people unless you have to, especially, you know, the reproductive organs. Have you ever seen, um, you know, they talk about, you can see, um, a dermoid or something that's got sure. teeth yes. and hair. And, Those are gnarly. So yeah. there's this, um, mass of the ovaries called a, it's called a teratoma, Um, but we call them a dermoid and they are benign masses. They can get really big, but they have like fluids, um, hair, fat. They can get like teeth and bones in them. Oh my goodness. So they look really gnarly. And can you see those on ultrasound? You can can totally see them on ultrasound. And, um, I've seen them where you can see the little hair fibers, like in the cyst and, and the fat and the, you can see like little bright spots, which are probably like teeth or bone. And yeah, they're really yeah. gnarly, but. And those need to come out. Those, they cannot um, stay there. they, if they're like small, they'll keep them in there, but they can get really big. Right. Um, and then they because can Because they're feeding affect, off the hormones. Right. And that's why they And have... then they can affect the egg health and, right. you know, kind of affect the ovary as a whole. So a lot of times they'll have them removed. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, um. Are there some things that you really draw a line and say, I will not talk to my patients about this? Mm. Or is, is it just really individual? Yeah, it's pretty individual. I mean, there's not a lot that I won't, you know, if I see a cyst or something, then I'm going to say, hey, you've got a cyst or hey, you've got a fibroid. Mm-hmm. But I like I always tell them, I can't diagnose you. I'm not a doctor. We have to, doctor has to look at this. When I'm done telling them what I'm seeing, the doctor has to review my images we have to wait for your labs. Like this is just a preliminary, like, you know, mm-hmm. cause a lot, they're interested and they're paying a lot of money. Like I can't just be like, Oh, turn the screen away. Like I'm, I can't tell you anything, mm-hmm. you know? So you want to be a little bit open with them. Yeah. And a lot of times they want to look, they're interested in like, what's going on with my body. Like, you know, I've been dealing with this for years. Like I want to see what's my uterus look like, yeah. you know, at the hospital, you can't tell them anything. You can't even show them the right. screen. So it's hard. Um, you know, but um, uh, yeah, I worked at a community hospital, so we saw all the crazy things. Yeah. So, at so your hospital we job had a woman saw? come in, um, and just was, I don't know what her, she had some weird symptoms, just like not feeling great. And I scanned her liver and it was full of masses, full, oh my full, goodness. full. And she was pregnant. Oh no. It was no. awful, awful, awful. Yeah. Um, I've found many tumors kidney, you know, like all kinds of stuff. Um, found a gallbladder cancer once. And, um, one of my crazier stories at the hospital was a 14 year old girl comes in with her mom and her, um, she had like an increased lab. So I did an abdominal scan on her, um, to check her liver and I put the probe down and I see a big old baby head. (gasps) And she was nine months pregnant what? and she swears she was a virgin and her mom was in there like, what in the hell? And she's like, I swear, mom, I've never had sex. So I'm like, oh, and I'm doing all the fetal measurements. I'm like, you are 36 weeks pregnant. Okay. And I called the doctor right in because we couldn't give them results. And he right. came right in. He's like, oh, Lord. 
Oh, Get ready. No. And she, yeah, it was a mess. And she mom was, was yelling. And yeah. Oh, I was like so uncomfortable wow. in that room. Oh, man. Yeah. I had one. It was um, it was actually a 16-year-old girl. And the um, OBGYN doc came up and he said, I did an exam on her. And he said, she delivered a baby. Oh, MG. Yeah. He said, she delivered a baby. She delivered a baby somewhere. She swears up and down. She did not have oh, a baby. You know, whatever. So anyway, they sent the police department to her home mm. to where her parents were. They were like, do you have a cat? And the parents would like, were like, no, we don't have a cat. And they're like, I, I hear something. And they looked behind the couch, and this baby was wrapped oh, my word. in a sleeping it bag. It was alive, oh, crying in a sleeping bag, oh, like like completely bundled and the up. the parents didn't know? The fire department said that that baby, she had wrapped it so tightly that it had clamped off the placenta, because the placenta's still laying there, too. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, we, we get this baby into the NICU, you know, and, oh. you know, we get the cord clamped, and we cut off, and, you know, baby's healthy and beautiful. Wow. And she's still denying. It's not my baby. I did not have a baby. That is not my baby. So anyway, we find out who the boyfriend is. This is a long story. Sorry. We find out who the boyfriend is. And he's like, what? So he comes down. He and his dad come down and they just fall in love with this baby. And he's just like, this is my baby. This is my baby. This looks like me. This is my baby. I had to do all the teaching with them about, you know, social services came in, but but they took him home. But that mom, she, I mean, and even at the end of my shift, she was like, that is not my baby. And I don't know what we do to these poor young girls that they can't express what's going on in their lives and, and be okay with it. But yeah. So are you still doing, um, some on call for, I don't do on call anymore. Um, I did take call at a couple of these freestanding ERs around, um, which is a great pay. It's super awesome pay because you get paid for being on call and then when you get called in you get paid per exam which is it's a good 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 money um but you're on call for 24 hours and you get called out of your bed at night and you're like sleep driving to the you know and half the time it's for some stupid ass exam that doesn't need to be done it (laughs) can wait till the morning but like you know so when I ended up getting renters I didn't. I don't you need said, to do this I don't anymore. Need to do that. Like, yeah. I, it, that was kind of yeah. my fun vacation money, sure. you know, my travel fund. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now that I've got some renters, I don't. I, it's Good. like I don't have to do this anymore. Like it's anxiety-inducing when you're stuck to your pager. You're like, oh, do I have my phone? Like, did I miss yeah. a call? You know, yeah. you're just like always kind of on guard all oh, day, and it's like, uh, yeah. I, as a NICU nurse, it's like, just count on that as a regular shift because yeah. you're going in. Right, you're going in for sure. You know, and that was a great thing about being a fertility nurse too. And I think that's why you love being a sonographer for fertility yeah. is because I don't have to take call, right. Right. <laughs> which is really nice. Yeah. It was almost like you could have a real life with your yeah. family and with your friends right. because you're not doing that hospital work where right. you're either working all the way through the night yeah. or, no, you know, when you get shifts. home... It's 8.30 at night because you're working 7 to 7. Yeah. Yeah. You always need a good hour to like decompress and, you know. Yeah. yeah, It's very hard. I don't miss the hospital hours. No. Right. That's what I love about our office. Everyone's willing to help. Right. And I can still do a blood draw and I can still do an injection if I have to. You know, I can help. I've seen you do it. Yeah. No one's above saying like, oh, I'm not, the toilet's plugged. I'm not going to plunge it. Right. It's not my job. (laughs) You know, we all, I mean, everything, you know, when I'm at work, I'm here for the patients, you know, I can put my personal stuff 
aside mostly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely been times like, you know, where I break down at work crying when my husband died, you know, right. but I don't do it in right. front we of the patient. We were all You know, yeah, like, yeah. It was, yeah. It's like in between patients or, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, but I can, I'm pretty good at leaving it. Yeah. Because you know, I'm there to serve it's, them. And It's interesting because it's almost like um, we've created a whole different personality mm-hmm. when something's going down. Yeah. You know, yeah. you get that phone call about, you know, into the NICU. We've got yeah. a got a 26-weeker. She's getting ready to deliver. Right. It's like I go into business mode. Yeah, right. And, exactly. You know, and I don't really get emotional until mm-hmm. I get home. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. I, get, yeah, I don't <laughs> think about I too think much about personal stuff. I think about it after stuff. I get home. Yeah. Right. When I'm at work, it's all about work. And I don't think about too much personal stuff, you know. Of course, we complain and everyone. Oh, know, yeah, like, we do. We sit at our lunch table and we're like, <laughs> that's when we have our little complaint session. I know I always hated it when you come in and say, mm, I see a little something, something mm-hmm. right there that we're going to need to look at. Yeah. No. Yeah. Why are you bringing me bad news like, today? <laughs> gotta do it. Yeah. So it's amazing. You find out so many things that, you know, right. They didn't even know. And a lot, you know, it's such a different, it's so specialized where, if you're just going to your OBGYN for a, you know, a quick pelvic scan, you know, a lot of times they don't know if you have PCOS because they don't even know how to look for it. Right. They don't ever count follicles. Right. Um, you know, there's just certain things. Oh, your lining should be this thickness when you're at this point in your cycle. That's just not stuff that they do or, you know, at the hospital or whatever, um, where we're like very right. detailed about what we're looking at. I always ask the patient, where are you at in your cycle? So that I know like, oh, your lining should look like this or mm-hmm. you should have a follicle growing. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a cyst, it's a follicle and it's normal. And mm-hmm. a lot of our patients, I'm turning the screen towards them like this is your yeah. uterus. This is your lining. This is your ovary. I'm kind of yeah. showing them as I go along, like what I'm doing, you know, yeah. and what I'm seeing. So it's, I think they deserve that for, you know, yeah. when they're coming in. Um, do you actually see, you know, they talk a little bit about the pearls around the yeah, so you ever see that? In classic PCOS, the ovary has the appearance, they call it like the string of pearls, but a lot of times all the little follicles, there's tons of them, but they're all kind of around the periphery of the ovary and not so much on the inside. Mm-hmm. So that's a classic um, thing that we look for with PCOS. Mm-hmm. And there's Is- lots of them. You know, if I'm counting more than 25, 30 on each side, that's usually right. an indicator for PCOS. And does every PCOS patient look the same? Nope. <laughs> Not at all. So it's difficult to diagnose. Very difficult. Yeah. Right. I always tell them, oh, you might have PCOS. You know, this looks pretty classic PCOS, but mm-hmm. we got to wait for those labs. I can't say right. for sure. Increased you know, testosterone never, levels. You know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we can't diagnose anyone. We're not a doctor. So I right. can tell you what I'm seeing, but I, you know. But most of the time our patients are very healthy and they educated themselves like almost too much. Yeah. They've been on the internet right. way too much. Uh, the internet, Dr. Google. Yeah. But yeah. We all do like, it. I do it. <laughs> I, do, I do it too. But like you said, you know, they deserve to see what's going yeah. on because they've been right. going through so much. Yeah. And, and with not, no answers, it's always unexplained yeah. infertility, you know. Oh, I hate that diagnosis, so but it's, it's there. Like, it tells me nothing, you yeah. know. Yeah. And then I feel bad too when I do a scan on them and everything looks perfectly fine. Right. You know, structurally and, you know, so we just, you know, we'll find out, but you know, 
Mm-hmm. Everything looks normal. Like they're happy to know, oh, everything looks normal, but what's the problem? Been a couple of surprises too, where a new patients come in. I've seen this oh, a couple yes. of times. New patients <laughs> come in, they're surprises. like, well, I'm actually kind of late on my period, and then I see a pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's like, hey, you're pregnant. <laughs> and you know what I always tell them? Yeah. That's just how good we are. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just like that. You just have to come you see us. Walk through the door. Yeah. Or they're in their diagnostic cycle and they come back pregnant. Yeah. So yeah, it happens quite a bit. It's so great. Um, or people have taken time off. I right. remember one specific patient, she's like, oh, she was going through it for a couple years. And they're like, we're just going to take some time off. We're going to go on vacation. They went to Jamaica or something. And she came back and was pregnant. It was so great. Perfect. I love it. Yeah, I'm like, you just yeah. had to get away and relax a little bit. So that's the yeah. power of like taking some time off, you know? Right. I just say, you know, don't be afraid to go see your fertility specialist. Just go in, you know, they tell you that, you know, you need to do all this testing, but just go in and talk. You don't have to do anything. Um, just get some information, you know, don't be afraid. It's, we're all super helpful. And right. I think a lot of people are afraid to come to that first appointment. We get a lot of, I see it, the cancellations, yeah. you make that appointment and then they cancel. They're like, oh no, you know, but just come in, you, you know, you're not you're not losing anything just that first appointment just come in and talk and get find out answers. your find out your options yeah and just find out what's going on right because you never know what it's going you to be you don't know it might just be a simple polyp or you know something exactly. that's really easy to be taken care of exactly um, so usually they'll see me on their first they we try to do an ultrasound at their first appointment their new patient appointment um And that's just the baseline scan where we're measuring things and just looking for any abnormalities. And then if they say go into an IUI cycle, which is just intrauterine inseminations, we'll see them on their cycle day three. And that's just a quick scan to check their lining, make sure it's thin and make sure that there's not any cysts to start. And then we'll see them again around ovulation time to see if there's a mature follicle. And then they'll go to their insemination after that, depending on what we're seeing on ultrasound. If it's an IVF cycle, we usually see them on their IVF cycle day two to count their follicles, to check for cysts, kind of get an idea of what we can hopefully harvest during that cycle. And then we see them every day from day six until usually day 12 when the follicles are ready. So we measure the follicles every single day. And when they get to a certain size and when their estrogen's getting up to a certain level, that's when they will get their egg retrieval. So that's when we're seeing them every day for about a week. So just, you know, don't be afraid to have that consultation. Are you seeing more patients come in that are older? Um, I'm seeing more patients coming in that are younger. Really? Yes. When I first started, it was like, okay, the women that were putting career first, and then it's like you're over 35 and you're having trouble getting pregnant. But man, these last couple of years, I'm seeing patients in their twenties that are having like hormonal dysfunctions. And I think that might be like environmental based, you know, with these foods and the hormone foods and the, and all the stuff that's in the air and right cleaners, everything that's just like toxic in our air and our Mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I'm seeing many more younger patients coming in. And we definitely see our over 35s, you know, the same amount, but I'm seeing a lot of 20 somethings. I do see those, you know, 35 to 44 year olds coming in that just think that their eggs are as healthy as they look. Yeah, no. No, I, I, no, know, I know you look like you're only yeah. 30 years and old. And a lot of times Your people have a great not. egg count, but the quality right. of those eggs is not great. Right. So, you know, I always kind of tell them with a grain of salt, well, you have, you're 
follicle count's normal, but I can't tell you what the quality of these eggs are. You know, right. that's something that we don't know until they look at it under a microscope. Exactly. So, and you, you know, can't look at it under a microscope yeah, unless you go unless through, you go through IVF. IVF. And, and we've we got plenty out. of, you know, 40 somethings coming in or, oh, you've got like 15 eggs. But then right. at, at the egg retrieval, okay, right. well, only five yeah. of those were good and yeah. only two of those fertilized. And right. so that number kind of goes down. Yeah. It's right. It's the, you might have a great follicle count, but quality is not good. So, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish you could tell that on ultrasound. Wouldn't that be nice? That's I know. the next thing you need to invent. Yeah. How do I? How do I see if it's get a microscopic vision egg. through my ultrasound? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so great. One day. Uh, one, one day. day it's a first sure. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be so cool. Yeah. What else have you invented that I don't know about? Uh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> we come up with more inventions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My one thing. I... But it's fine. We use it. We use it quite a bit. I know some of the physicians are just kind of shaking the syringe up, to but make then you don't get great bubbles. I've seen it. Instead, because um, I know you push instead one of pushing and then the other. it like yeah. vigorously, you get a yeah. really good contrast. Can the patient um, feel that? It's crampy. They can feel the cramps. It's crampy for so, sure. So is it a real gentle kind of? Well, they can't feel the agitation of the syringe. Oh, okay. But when the fluid goes in, mm-hmm. you're you're separating the when lines. When you're filling, when you're initially when you're filling, filling the uterus, daddy. right? Okay. You're you're separating the lines of the lining of the uterus, and that can cause some cramping. I see. It's easier if you've had a child and your uterus has been stretched out. You yeah. Know? Um, and just placing the catheter through the cervix can cause some cramping as well. Yeah. It's not usually horrible. Right. Um, everyone's got different pain tolerances. Right. I mean, I've seen patients who feel nothing. They're like, oh, this is fine. And then some patients who are just like needing Valium. Yeah. So, you know, it depends. <laughs> uh, I probably would be one that needs Valium. Yeah, me too. The worst. Yeah. I'm the worst patient. Well, plus you had that... Uh, a uterine cavity that yeah. was not cooperative. Not so. great. Mm-hmm. I can kind of relate. I've had a had you know I've had an SHG and I've had a hysteroscopy and it was like oh, no I, can, I always feel for them. Right, I've and, had it done. I know. Yeah, and I've like. had some patients say the HSG was the worst experience know, of their lives. Yeah. Another say some are like oh, they didn't feel fine. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so your memorial. So you can find me on Etsy. My Etsy shop is Memorial Pieces, all one word. And my Instagram is at Memorial underscore Pieces. Well, I love you. I love you. <laughs> You're the best. For having me. Speak some German for us. Um, Frohe Weihnachten. That's Merry Christmas. Oh. Und ein gesundes neues Jahr. And a, like a healthy, happy new year. Oh. <laughs> for the Christmas time. Wait, it's Christmas now. When this comes out, it might not be Christmas. Fertility, Let's Be Honest is hosted by Kalise Cryer. Our executive producer, editor, and sound engineer is Kirsten Bitzer. Our theme song is Somebody to Love by Andy De Los Santos.
cuss in German under your breath when you're scanning um, patients? <laughs> no, not under my breath, but my favorite. Um, not under my breath. I no, just say yeah, it out loud. Just say it out loud. My favorite is Scheiße, which is shit. Yeah. So everyone just says Scheiße around the house. Yeah. <laughs> Even Trace doesn't know it's a Scheiße. <laughs> yeah. Or verdammt nochmal. That's like, damn it. Damn it again. It's like, verdammt nochmal. That's a good one.